Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Remos, thank you very much. Can you guys give them another round of applause? So if you're here visiting for the first time, uh, this is not normally what we do. Um, just to give you kind of, we usually have a full band, but we wanted to change it up a little bit, kind of challenged in that way because some people are all on vacation. But through our uh, worship team leader, we call um, our music leader, uh, Courtney, she was able to kind of organize that and work that out to get the Remos here, which kind of ties into everything we are going to talk about a little bit, I'll share, um, with the Imagu Day. And we have a new series entitled Imagu Day. Now, that means the image of God. So we were all created in the image of God with value and respect and dignity. And so it's very important for us to understand that because this is a theological discussion that can be taken in different realms and different ways, different modes, but we're not going to go down that road. We are simply sharing that phrase to highlight something more in Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 22. We will have guest speakers in the next two weeks, which I'll share a little bit later after the sermon. And then what we want to do is help you understand, too, that with the image of God, for those who are in Jesus Christ, for those who have trusted in the person and work of Jesus, we are now being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And we believe, according to the scriptures, even theologically, that although marred because of sin, we are now being restored to the image in, in likeness of God and also through Christ, and that is part of why God has chosen us, and we want to talk a little bit about that today. And when we do talk about today, we're going to talk a little bit about unity and the difference between unity and uniformity, and I believe it's going to require for a people of God to cross the line. We're going to talk about it. That's why I entitled my sermon today, Crossing the Line. And so um, it's important for us to see that crossing the line uh, is necessary for us to have what I believe is called unity. And uh, so we're going to talk about that. But let me just start here by asking this question. Does God call people to unity or uniformity? Um, how does that really work out? Well, let me just share a couple of things with you. Although... Many people think that the words unity and uniformity are similar in nature. Actually, they're not. There are, there's a true difference between the two. Unity refers to a union or harmony of a group of people, whereas uniformity is a state of always having the same form, manner, or degree. And the key difference with unity and uniformity is that unity comes when people accept differences and tolerate the differences with other people. Where uniformity is, there's no room for difference because you're always the same. Like the same things, you dislike the same things. You think the same way. You believe the same way in many different realms, whether it be political, religious. It's formed in so many different ways. So what we want to understand is that uniformity and unity are different. And what is God ultimately calling his people? Well, let me try to bring it to you a little differently. Uh, many people understand sports. We know that with sports, 
Uh, we enjoy it. I thoroughly enjoy sports. I love it, especially if there's a good baseball game, which the Yankees haven't been playing really well, so it's hard to watch them sometimes. But then a football game, and if your team is not very good, it's, you're an avid fan, you'll still watch it, but you're not always as excited if they're like 2-12 and 12 or 2-14. and 14. So you have, you have sports, and as a sports fan in sports, there's a piece of property that brings a people together to watch their favorite team play against their opponents. When we arrive to this specific location, it's often called a stadium, arena, a complex. In most cases, if not all, there's usually a playing field court in this particular stadium or in this arena. And now each team has what, um, what we would understand. There's, there's like a stands, what we call the stands, people where they seat, and then in the middle, there is where people play for certain teams and have uniforms. Now, in football, it's important to identify a player when you're playing the game because if you're a quarterback and you throw the ball, you want to make sure you throw it to someone who has a uniform like yourself. Otherwise, if you throw it to another person with the other uniform, then it's called an interception, whether it's a cornerback, a safety, a linebacker, or even a defensive end or nose tackle. So, that's one thing. Uh, so you want to make sure when you're on a team that you throw a ball to the person who has the same uniform. Not so difficult with baseball because it's a little bit more wide out and clear. But when you're playing, even soccer, same thing. You want to know who you're passing to. And as I was watching the game, the Euro 2020, <clears throat> which the Italians won. Um, it's funny that I watched and how they passed the ball and, and the precision, the focus, looking ahead. I was not a soccer player. I'm not that type of body type, but my father was. My father was considered professional in Italy, and so I'm amazed, and I can see why he watched it most of his life, especially living here in America before he died. But you see that it's important to understand that you have uniforms and you have people, but in all of this, each team have diverse people with a specific goal in mind. They're all diverse whether the goal is NBA Finals, World Series, Super Bowl, NHL Finals, or World Cup Soccer, or any of that matter. But in the stands, where there are many types of people, they have different DNAs, preferences, cultures that are different, religious or religion that are different, socioeconomic and sociopolitical. They place their differences aside to come together for one goal, to cheer on their team. They are fans despite their differences, white, non-white, rich or poor, Democrat or Republican, Christian or non-Christian. They come together in unity and tolerate their differences. Let me tell you something. When I'm watching a game, I really don't care what you hold to at that point. I just want my team to win so we can all come together, kumbaya, and get that team to win. So we're going to cheer together. Call that sacrilegious, whatever. I'm, I'm just trying to tell you that when it comes to that, well, how come a people could come together to watch a game and put their differences aside for a common goal? But for some crazy reason, this thing called church or diverse people, God created it that way. And sometimes we have diversity in all different areas, but it's so difficult for us to come together for one goal, one purpose. Jesus Christ, the person and work of Christ, the gospel, the message of the gospel, the truth, the word of God. See, that's where unity comes together. 
in harmony when we can come together. But then I ask this other question. Does uniformity bring unity? Now, let me just go further before you start ready to throw some tomatoes at me. Here's the thing. Uniformity involves spending time with the same people who have the same likes and dislikes, same behavior, same political views, same religion, with no room for differences, as I mentioned. There's a sense of strength. This can exist in a family unit among religious groups, school friends, workers, neighbors. There's a strength for sports teams, military schools, and churches. So there's strength in uniformity. There's nothing wrong with it. But I'm not here to say it's wrong. Please do not mistake in the following statement that I'm about to make, but if, if we as a people, our people are only living in uniformity and not willing to cross the line towards someone who is different or what we would say is diversity, then I believe we're missing out. As a people of God, if we stay in uniformity in one area, which isn't bad, it's, there's some strength, there's some unity in that, but if I'm not willing to walk over and cross the line to someone who is different, then I'm missing out on God's best. See, I believe God created us for that purpose. We're diverse. We're different. We're different people. We're not just white and non or white and non-white. We have different cultures and nation people. God created us that way. And you'll be surprised to believe that in front of heaven, when you go, there won't be Americans, there'll be nation people. Because God intended it for that. Now I gotta share this with you. Because I've shared it often, but I'm gonna go a little deeper into my culture. I got to say this in this way, before I became a Christian, 95% of my life was uniformity as an Italian. My friends were mostly first-generation Italian-Americans. I hate names that I knew like Micolina, Macolata, Annunziata, Raffaele, Vincenzo, Vito, Rocco, Giorgio. Zinacola, Vivona, I mean the Schinella, Mimo. I had buddies of mine. I used to go to the club together. Mimo and Rocco. We talked Italian together before Christ. This was my world. That's who I was. I was created by God in the image of God, but I didn't know what he had for me because I was lost. But my world was ultimately Italian because everybody who came to my house was Italian. If I invited a friend, they were Italian-American. I didn't often meet people who were just white. I called white Americans. And then I got saved and everything changed. It was diverse. I didn't know what to do because I came from Stanford, Connecticut, which even in my church, in the Christian church, there were still Italian-Americans there. But I had to learn to, to assimilate in some way. And when I did, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It was the true blessing of God of biblical unity. I didn't realize it existed. I only knew because I was in uniformity for so long over here. I didn't know that there was diversity for me and a beautiful place where God intended to be his very best for me. In the last 32 years, my life has changed. I never got out of Stanford, Connecticut. The only place I vacationed prior to ever becoming a Christian was Italy. That was the only place I went to. My parents never traveled anywhere farther than Stanford. We went to New York City. That's about as far as we got. My father didn't drive anymore. He had so many accidents, he had to stop driving because he couldn't read the signs. You see, my point is that when diversity happened, God was at work in my life. Today, I can call a man who's like a father to me, my father in the Lord. And when he passes away, 
If God allows me to see that, it will be like losing my own biological father. This man has loved me, crossed the lines, accepted me, tolerated with me, all of me. Because he showed me one thing, we came in unity. We're 90% of our unity is Jesus Christ. We have nothing in common. But I'll tell you something, I'd do anything for this man. When he speaks, I listen and I obey, even today. If he tells me, I say, yes, sir, because he's earned it from me. That's what I'm talking about, a diversity that crosses lines, that brings unity. God, this is his intention. This is beautiful. So I have a few questions for you. How often do you spend time with the people of uniformity? Same ethnic background, Christian, socioeconomic, sociopolitical. Now let me ask you another question. When was the last time you spent time with someone who was different from you in these, in these areas? When was the last time? If you haven't, does God expect us to cross the line of diversity to get to know other brothers and sisters in Christ? I would say emphatically yes, because it's commanded. It's not an option. It's commanded of, I believe God created unity for a purpose. He didn't just create us, saved us through his son, just for us as individuals. Because as individuals, we come before God, but inclusively, we come too as a corporate unity called the church. The ecclesia, the assembling of a people of God to be unified together, not but through Christ so we can know each other past the hello on a Sunday morning. To cross that line. To say, what are you afraid of to cross the line? That you might actually find something awesome? <laughs> are you afraid that, yes, it's uncomfortable. I get it. It was super uncomfortable for me. It's not convenient. It was not convenient for me. I got to tell you, 32 years, it's still uncomfortable for me. When I see Italians that are believers, I get excited. But I'll tell you something. When I meet someone different, I even get more excited now. Because God has taught me to cross that line. And God wants to teach each one of us to cross that line. Because unity is waiting for us. He's created it for a purpose. So I have a couple of things here. See, I believe God created unity by crossing the line of hostility. Look with me to chapter 2 of Ephesians, chapter 2. But prior to going to chapter 2, if you have your Bibles with you, if not, you can follow us on the monitor here. I just want to share a couple of things about Ephesians. It's so important because obviously we understand, if you know from Acts 19, Priscilla and Aquila started the church, Paul remained there for three years, then was handed off to Timothy as a pastor, as a young pastor, which obviously Paul was, he was a protege of Paul, Paul was his mentor. And then Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. And we understand that the letter is broken down into two parts. The first three chapters are theology proper. The second three chapters, what we call four through six, are theology practice. So it's important that we understand that we're in that first part. And we need to go back into chapter one because chapter one, three through 14 in the Greek is an actual long sentence. It's not broken down into sentences. It's one long sentence in the Greek. But we know it as when we read the Bible, it's broken down into sentences. And what we see there in that passage is the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, what you just want to know, that in the Trinity, we understand that the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, are the same in essence, it's a theological perspective, but yet diverse in roles. So you have what we call Trinity, a diversity in roles that comes into unity, a harmonious unity. So the Father and Son are one, in essence, but diverse in their roles, 
which is intentional for God to show us as a people of God. That you and I have been created by God, diversely, different, distinctive, but not to be divided. Ultimately, to come together in unity as the body of Christ. And we can't be in unity in the body of Christ by just simply saying that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for our sin, the person and work of Jesus, that he saved us with the blood, without willing, willing to cross the line and be blessed for his best over here saying, I want to know someone different. In Bible college, I did that. When I used to drive a van from the old dorms to the new dorms at Cary University, which was called Philadelphia College of the Bible, we had international students. And what I did, because I'm a son of two immigrants, I asked the question, tell me how to say hello in your language. They tell me, I said, can you write it out for me? They write it out for me, and I'd study them. I had nine languages. I studied them. I kept saying it to myself, kept saying it. And then when they would get into the, into the van, I'd say hello to them in their language. I had an American tell me, why do you do that? I said, why not? They said, well, they're here in America. Shouldn't they speak English? You know me by now. I says, you're an American. Why don't you learn something new? Can't you learn a new language and learn how to say hello in another language? Did you know that before God? We're going to be different people in different nations. We're not going to all be Americans. She put her head back down. We quieted it up. And I kept driving. We've got to stop with that perspective because we are a people created by God with dignity and value, the Imago Dei. And we have that because God has saved us through his son and he created it for a purpose. And here's what he did in chapter 2, verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11 Paul speaking here, he says, therefore, which that word we need to stop because verses 1 through 10 obviously identify that we're sinners and it's only through Christ that we could be saved and that we're saved by grace through faith. And therefore, now he not only talks about the individual, he now brings a people of God, bringing the Jew and the Gentile together, which was unheard of of that time, but yet it was only to be possible through the blood of Jesus. And he says, therefore, remember. Now, that's a key word, remember. i got to tell you something. It's an important word there. It's in the present active imperative in the Greek, which means that present means it's continuous. Paul's saying to the Gentile who's now a believer, he's speaking to the believer right now in this particular letter, and he's saying, you need to remember, you need to remember, you need to remember who you once were. That will fuel you and your passion to reach others. And it will remind you what Christ has done for you, what God has been willing to do to take you in a place where it was hopeless and helpless, but he was willing to do so. And it was an imperative. He was commanding them to do so, which means it's not an option. It's a command. We to be reminded what God has done for us. And then he goes on, he says, not that one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. Now, you got to understand that word uncircumcision actually from a Jew to a Gentile was racial profiling. It was racial profiling because the Jews considered them as outcasts, objects of ridicule and rebuke. They did not see them as equals, nor did they care to do so. For thousands of years, it was handed down from generation to generation within a family and a societal context. The Jews were named circumcised due to Genesis chapter 17 
A covenant God made with Abraham in chapter 12 and 15, that he, he came to faith already, believed in the God of Israel and was accredited to him righteousness, chapter 15, verse 6. But then 17 was simply God saying, we're going to brand you and identify you as a people of God. So they did. It was a, what God would call identifying his people with a physical right, R-I-T-E. And they were circumcised. It was called the cutting away of the male foreskin was not new, but it was used for special religious and theocratic significance, identifying the circumcised Jews to the physical and ethical lineage of Abraham. In addition, there was some health benefit to it as well, because since disease would occur in these manners, they had to remove it to cut it away. But it was a symbolism, it was true symbolism of a physical right as to cut away sin and to be cleansed. See, the true Jew is not identified as a people of God because of this, meaning they're not saved because of it. But they should already have been saved by grace through faith in the God of Israel, Yahweh. But this in itself, this act, doesn't save a person. Because Jeremiah even said in chapter 4, verse 4, he said, the Lord said, circumcise yourselves to the Lord, remove the foreskin of your hearts. See, it's an inward work, it's not the outward work that saves a person. And so the true Jew is not of an outward work. Even Romans chapter 2, 28 and 29, it says, for no one is a Jew who's merely one outwardly nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter, his praise is not from man, but from God. So it's clear it's not made by hands as mentioned in verse 11, because the hands that were made were made of human, and people who made gods, they made idols. God says it doesn't come from humans, it only comes from from him. And we understand in the New Testament now with the circumcision of the heart and the sin that has to be cut away and the cleansing only comes through the person and work of Jesus Christ. But how did Jesus do this? How did it come about? How did he remove this hostility? How did he create this unity? We have to understand this. Jesus did not just simply walk the line, but he crossed it and he sacrificed himself on the cross. See, what this tells us is that Jesus had to be willing to sacrifice himself to cross the line to create unity. How many of us who are in Christ, then now we have to understand that it's the crossing the line, that it takes sacrifice, that it takes commitment, that it is uncomfortable and it's not convenient, and you have to be willing to do the hard work in order to see this unity unfold. It's got to practically happen, meaning God's already prepared for it. Jesus crossed the line. Now we have to cross the line in our sanctification in order to create that unity. We can't just stay in uniformity. We need to go towards unity to create harmony. That's what it's going to take. And it takes that sacrifice just like Jesus himself. Number two, God created unity by crossing the line of hopelessness, the line of of hopelessness. Now we have to understand this because for the Gentiles there was no hope. Not only did the Jews declare that, but there truly was no hope. Their position was clear. In fact, in uh, verse 12, we see this. Verse 12, it says 
that remember that you were once, that you were at that time separated from Christ. There are five things here. One is that they were separated from Christ, meaning they had no benefits with Christ. They did not know. They, they were not part of it. But those who were Jews had the opportunity to know the Messiah. In fact, although the word is Christ in the Greek, it's really messianic is what the mindset is. Alienated from the commonwealth, meaning that you're separated, a people of God who knew. And he says when you're alienated, that was in the perfect tense, which means that you were positioned totally away from God. That you in your position as a sinner, there is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. And so the position is clear. That as a Gentile, they couldn't sneak in with the Jew. They couldn't disguise themselves, dress up and say, I'm a Jew. (laughs) No, that doesn't work because even as a Jew, they still needed Jesus. Because God brought two people together. And so the Jew couldn't just simply come to faith in the God of Israel without believing the Messiah to come, which is Jesus. Number two, what you got to understand is that coming here, he said, strangers to the covenants of promise. Now, you notice he didn't say covenant, because some would say that it was possibly the Mosaic covenant, which would tie themselves with the Jew. But the covenants is the Abrahamic covenant, which is Abram means father of many nations, which we understand the seed is the seed of Christ that brings all people together, both Jew and Gentile. That was the promise, a land a, a people and a nation, but a promise for all people because his descendants will be as many as the sand and the sea. And so, so many people too will be the Jew and the Gentile coming together through the seed, not seeds, but seed, Jesus Christ, Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. And we see that that's the, ultimately the new covenant as stated here. And we see that. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. But though I was her husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. This is a future, so it's already not yet, meaning those who have come to faith in Christ, but those who yet have a future, declares the Lord. And I will put my law within them, and I will write on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, because they already know, it says saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know all know me, for the least of them to the greatest, the Jew and the Gentile. All people, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, I will remember their sin no more. That's the new covenant. That's the blood of Jesus. That's where they come together. In fact, we understand that God dropped a line to the Gentiles and offered the greatest hope. That's the hope, that God has offered this line He dropped it right to them. And this hope is even mentioned in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. It says, To them, God God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, it was hopeless. They had no hope. And further on, as we understand that, it says they were without hope in that same verse, without God. That word God is atheos, which we get atheists. So 
the Gentiles without God, no relationship with God is what it means. Therefore, they were in a position as, as an atheist. So if anyone claims to know God but doesn't have a relationship with God, although they may claim to know God and say, I believe in God, they're really truly an atheist because they're not living accordingly and don't have a relationship with them. How many of us, too, when we're in this uniformity position, we're always hanging out with the same people, with the same beliefs and the same dislikes and all of that coming together, same manner, same mold. This is all we do. We stay here in this, in this circle 100%. How is the world seeing this as Christians? Are they seeing that we love God if we're not willing to cross the line to diversity and by crossing the line to show that we could lead the way? I'm not talking about any social political view here. I'm not talking about the nation. I'm not concerned about what the news is saying. In fact, I don't even watch it anymore, but I am concerned about the church, and I'm concerned that we need to take the lead. And if we're over here in uniformity all the time, wondering, 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 this is what God really wants for us, when he really wants for us for unity and diversity, then what's the world saying? What are they seeing? I'm not reminding you. You might say, I know God. Okay, that's great, but what's the world seeing? Let me say it again. What's the world seeing? Do they see that we really know God by crossing the line? I'm not suggesting you cross the line in some political realm and join some social group in, in, in the nation. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that as a people of God, God's calling us to cross the line and come over here to diversity and get to know some other people that are different from us. Now, I'm not saying you leave this realm and saying go 100% that way, although maybe if God wants you to go that way, that's fine. But here's the thing. Maybe it takes 5, 10, or 15% of you to just cross that line and say, I need to spend some time with someone who's different. We can't live like this anymore. The church has to take the lead. We have to be willing to see forth that diversity is necessary for us. You might say, Bruno, I've tried it. I've tried to get with other people different, but it just doesn't work. I understand, but how often have you tried? <laughs> have you prayed about it? Do you believe God's made it a priority for you? Because it is a priority, but how do we do it? And hopefully we can help, but it takes that first step to cross the line. Number three, see, God created unity by crossing the line of helplessness. Helplessness. I mean, it's quite clear because they were hopeless and they needed help. <laughs> and here's God sending Jesus to the rescue once again. Now, this is a very important verse here because in the coming weeks, you'll hear more of verses 14 through 22 through our guest speakers. But now, in Christ Jesus, let me stop there because there's three little phrases here. I, I was, it's but, because but is a contrast that says where you were previously in your previous state 11 and 12, so he's talking to the Gentile Christian and even to the Jew now saying, but in your previous state, even if you're circumcised or uncircumcised, and he goes, now, meaning now, this is who you are now in your present state, from sinner to saint, God's workmanship, prior to the foundation of the world, predestined to adoption, completed to the, at the point of glorification. I mean, it was intended from the very beginning. God, he intended it. In eternity past, he chose us. Foreknowledge, we think of predestination, we think of election. God knew, therefore he preplanned, and he chose and this was in eternity past. And his intentionality is not just for the individual, but a people of God. So his intentionality is to bring the Jew and the Gentile together, which we would call the church. This was God's intention. 
And here he's come to help this bring along. And he says, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have now been brought near to God by the blood of Christ. That word, the air is passive and brought near, it's all God. And through the blood of Jesus, nothing you and I could ever do, but only through the blood. It was his intention. Even in chapter 1, he states it so eloquently. Paul says, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses. So if we're forgiven and through the blood, then what are we doing about it? Are we going to remain uniformed? Never crossing the line? Or is God intended for us, forgave us for the purpose to cross the line? See, I believe he has. I believe we need to. I believe we need to take step. It's like one step in front of the other, and soon you'll be walking out the door. And you're in. You're in. Yes, I used to watch those Rudolph uh, things too when I was a kid. Yes, you're in. But it takes that. It takes that willingness to move forward. That's what he said in verse 8, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose. According to his purpose. That's what it is, which he has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Unite. Unity, not uniformity. Things in heaven and things on earth. This was his attention. It's, it's just quite clear. In fact, I think it's the bottom line. Jesus Christ reconciled the people to himself. It's reconciliation as we understand it. And with reconciliation, it's the bottom line. He didn't just walk a line. He crossed the line. We understand he dropped the line, and now it's the bottom line. It's reconciliation. It's not optional but we have to ask God to help us. It's not comfortable. It's not convenient. And if we stay in uniformity too long, it becomes complacency. We've got to challenge ourselves and ask God to challenge us. It's even quite clear as we go further into this passage, chapter 2, verse 14 and 16, he says, for himself is our peace, who made us both one as broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. Breaking it down, so making peace and might reconcile us to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. The divide, see the court of Gentiles was located just outside of the temple and there was a wall because they didn't want the Gentiles to be mixed in with the Jews. And this is true symbolism, but yet metaphorically and also spiritually, that he broke down that wall. Now he brought the Jew and the Gentile together as one new man. And by crossing the line, as we mentioned, he said, all people are equal before me. The Imago Dei. Value, distinctive, with intentionality. And, and the idea that with integrity, we can say that we are equal people before God. And he's reconciled us for a purpose to come together as one. So that when we do, the world will see us as coming together as one. And when they do, they're going to say, what are you guys doing different that the nation is failing at? 
but they can't say that right now. I'm smiling because we're not doing that, that great of a job. Tony Evans, a renowned Dr. Tony Evans, has said that we have failed in the area to lead the way in racial reconciliation. Bringing an enthos, an ethos, a people of God together from diversity. Oh, would it be just beautiful to see that more in our churches. The most segregated hour of every week, whichever time exists here in America. And it can exist in other countries too. We must come together with the purpose, with intentionality. It's our call. So we need to be intentional to cross these lines because that was God's intention from the beginning. You know, I think what's happening today in our nation, even this political struggle, is everybody wants to be right. (laughs) Everybody wants to be a step above the next person. And that's why we go back and forth with the arguments. We make it a defense. But did God create in us that defense? Do we reach people through apologetics or through evangelism? You know the answer. I know the answer because the scriptures are clear. Maybe instead of us trying to be right, why not create a relationship by crossing the line? And when you get there, you'll be amazed. God will say, this is my best. And when you get there and you're in that realm, you're like, yes, God, this is your best. I think sometimes we're over here in the fear of the unknown and wanting to be right. The fear that just paralyzes us, stops us from seeing God's best over there. I say that sincerely because I've experienced it. It takes heart. It takes compassion. It takes courage. It does take some confession because we're sinners in need of a Savior. We're sanctified. We're to confess sin. We can't always be right. Relationships build when we confess our sin. He's also calling us to be humble with humility. Both sides, not just one. Can't plan it on one side only. It's got to be a working together. I love the book that I'm reading right now, Be the Bridge, because I just read fault lines from Vodi, Bachman, Vadi, Vodi, however you want to say it. And I'm reading through these books quickly. But I love what this woman said in this book, Be the Bridge. She says, humility has to happen on both sides. It's not just one-sided. So I want to encourage you. What's it going to take? Because all it takes, I'm going to be honest with you, is meeting with someone different and taking them out for a cup of coffee. Take them wherever they want to go. Just ask them what what they like and take them. Serve them. But at the same time, take them out for something to eat, too. It's always good to sit around some food and some coffee and just talk. Because humility says, let me listen and learn. Let me grasp something here. I want to encourage you. I think it's time for us to do that as a church, to take those steps. And when you do, when we all do, it's going to be God's best for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us of this amazing message that you've called us to unity. Now, uniformity, we thank you for it because it does strengthen us, and there is some unity in that. But I don't think that's your best. We know it's not your best. We know your best is unity, harmony in the midst of diversity. And Father, we're grateful that today you've given us that opportunity to start with the Imagu Dei by saying that we're valued by you, 
You create us with an intention to know you and to walk with you and to love you, but you created all people equally. And God, I pray as the people of God, the assembly, the ecclesia, the church, that we would take the lead once and for all, not look to the nation as an example, but to look to the word of God, biblical justice. Please help us to do so, Lord. We need your help. We are helpless and hopeless without you, Lord. You've taken us out of hostility. Now help us to encourage people to move forward through this hard work. Lord, thank you so much for Grace Church and what you're going to do. We, see, we are seeing some change here, and we're grateful for that. And we pray that you will continue to do that for your honor and your glory and your praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I know that today has been a very challenging passage, um, a, a time for us to reflect. And I just wanted to show you um, our guest speakers that will be here for the next two weeks. We have Dr. Uh, Juan Carlos Tellez. He's actually been in our fellowship, Caris Fellowship, for some time. He was a pastor, also worked at Grace Theological Seminary. He is now a professor at Northwestern in Minnesota. He just got his PhD in immigration and um, in, in the studies of immigration, and he has a lot to say, but he is a great resource. We're actually on a team together, racial reconciliation team together in our, um, in our, in our fellowship, and I am with him, a James Schaefer, and also uh, a Pastor Irv, who's from Clinton. And we are together, working together to try to help our churches and how we can assist them as we're working and growing together uh, to help us to be together, reconciled, and how can we reach different people and diverse people. And then there is Professor William Deuce Branch, affectionately known as Deuce, because I've known this man for the last 30 years. He's one of my best friends. Um, we've been together. He is a hip-hop Christian artist of past, but he's been a professor. He's been a pastor. He is known to be traveling around, speaking in different venues and conferences. He also speaks highly. He is a professor at Southeastern Theological Seminary down in North Carolina. He is working on his PhD as we speak. His children just graduated from the college there. His wife is an assistant uh, a women's dean. She's an assistant to the women's dean, and she's also working at the college. Um, he's affectionately known as the prof. Great order, great speaker. Uh, I have to learn words from him every time because he's, he's amazing with his vocabulary. His father made him read when they stayed in Staten Island. His father made him read books when he was 10 and 11 and 12 years old. He couldn't go out and play. He had to read books. Um, so his, it was beneficial for him. I wish I did that. Um, I look back, that was one of the things, if I had to go back, I'd read books uh, because I didn't read many books when I was a young man. Uh, so they're going to be with us. We're also going to have a panel for each of those Sundays, the 25th and the 1st. We'll have lunch for you, uh, but we would encourage you to remain. So don't just have lunch and leave. We want you to have lunch, remain. It will start at 1 o'clock, the panel discussion. We will have lunch between the time that we leave the second time, 11 o'clock service, until about quarter to one ten of, and then we'll start to assemble here in this room. So we want to encourage you. One of them will be on what I call Zoom call, so they'll be on our monitors, while another one will be here on stage, and we're going to do part one and part two. And I will also have a special guest to add to on August 1st that I'll share with you next Week. So if you have any questions, feel free to ask me, Pastor Dennis. We are excited about this opportunity. There are quite a few pastors in our district that are looking to come. If you, are, you have a friend, someone who's interested in this discussion, we would, it's called Breaking Down the Barriers. We'll talk a little bit more about those other things. 
All right, so now one more thing before you leave. You know, for most of you that know, we have a school, Grace Christian Academy, and we are excited about our new interim school director before, as he's coming up, I just want to share some things. He has been involved in Christian education for 20 plus years. When Matt Duransky, one of our pastoral team leaders and elder, was the director in 2015, he hired, um, he hired uh, our Dwayne Johnson, and he hired him to be an athletic director, and then he was promoted to dean of students, which is actually and essentially the second person in charge here. And then as an opportunity opened up, we as a pastoral team, along with our management team, which kind of working collectively, uh, we believe God called this man to this position. He's a wonderful, wonderful man. Um, we're so excited. I can tell you as a lead pastor, I'm super excited. A special note of thanks to Pastor Dennis, to Matt Duransky, to the school board, because the last two years have been very challenging. A special note, too, as well, and a thanks to our school, our administration, for working very hard during this very difficult time. And so um, we've been working real hard. Uh, Jack and I have been looking from the outside in a little bit and recognizing as pastoral team leaders that, yeah, this has been a very challenging time, but they've been working very hard. So we want to take a moment um, to encourage you as we pray for Mr. Dwayne Johnson. So thrilled, brother, that you're here and um, excited about what God's going to do. But this is what we need from you, not only to join us in prayer, we need you to join us and help us to get this place ready for a new school year. We're pretty excited about it. The enrollment is at a good place, and we're going to work hard. I just want to tell you, in the last couple of weeks, I've been working out there in the back decks, and Mr. Dwayne Johnson had a meeting with his people, and I had to walk through the comments. I did not look like a good sight. I was just say that I was... Not a, not a healthy sight. And I had to go to the bathroom, and Dennis mentioned to me that Stacy saw that, and I just, but I want to tell you, I was in there, I was working hard, and I want to encourage you to get involved. I need you to get involved. We need you to get involved. So I want to encourage you, if you want to be a part of our school, this is our school, get involved. This is the way we're going to do it. So just encourage you to do so, all right? So let's pray for Mr. Dwayne Johnson and ask God to do a work in him. Father, thank you for this man. Thank you for his willingness to serve here and to serve you, God. Thank you so much for bringing him here. Hire him. And so, Lord, I thank you for all the hard work, not only for the pastoral team, the management team, but our administration and school staff. And, Lord, we just pray that you would bless him, encourage him, and strengthen him. I pray that we would come alongside of him as a church to let him know that he's not alone, that, Lord, we are here to serve in any way possible to make sure that this facility, this campus looks great for our school, for our students, for our parents. God, we just pray that you would place it on all of our hearts to come together and to serve you, Lord. Lord, we love you. We love this man, and we're grateful that you've promoted him. God, may you richly bless him in this coming year. And Lord, may we just truly come together for your honor, your glory, and your praise so that, Lord, we could be a witness to this community uh, for, your, for your sake. And Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, brother.